Now I'm going to invite uh, Josh uh, just to come up this morning. We're just going to have a quick... Ask, I'm going to ask Josh a few questions about uh, what you get up to. So Josh, what do you get up to uh, during the week? We all know you, you're here and you're in partnership and you get involved with lots of different things, but what do you do uh, Monday to Friday? Cool. Yes, I... For the last year, I've been working for uh, a guy called Dr. Peter Saunders, and he is, or he was firstly, the chief executive of a group called the Christian Medical Fellowship. Uh, There's a picture of their homepage coming up on the screen, and I was his assistant, so he ran this fellowship of medics all over the UK and Ireland, and we supported them, who are the, the Christians who are working either in hospitals or in mission contexts or in... Um, local GPs, that sort of thing, all around the country. And they're all Christians who join with our organization, and we support them to live out their faith in the workplace. We also work a lot in medical schools. So as students go to university to study medicine, we sort of set up CUs with UCCF. We work alongside them to help encourage medical students who are training so that they can live for Jesus in that medical field. I think most people in life will have some contact with a doctor at some point, or everyone does usually when they're born, and often throughout their life as well. And I think far more people will go through the doors of a, of a GP or a hospital than they will a church. And so we see the medical field as a real mission field for, for doctors to be able to live out their faith uh, there. So I've been working for him for this last year, but just two months ago, uh, Dr. Peter Saunders, he moved from the chief executive of the national CMF to the international umbrella body which is the next slide, called ICMDA. And it's a bit of a mouthful. It stands for the International Christian Medical and Dental Association. So it's basically a big fellowship of all the CMFs all around the world, and they sort of join together to support one another. So we now work for them. Uh, so I'm still working for the same guy, but it's overseeing this sort of national, international um, umbrella body. So it's a real mission field as well. So we're seeing um, groups... Starting in countries, there's about 80 countries right now who are members with us, but there's over 200 countries in the world, and so we'd love to see our body in, in each of these countries. Uh, the next slide is our, our mission and, and sort of vision statement. We want to see a Christian witness through doctors and dentists in every community, in every nation, and our role is to help start and strengthen those bodies. So we've got contacts. I've got a, a WhatsApp on my phone with contacts from all over the world and almost every hour or so I've got messages coming in from groups who are just saying, can you pray for us in the Philippines? Uh, pray for us in Mexico. We've got a, a conference right now. There's students down in Ghana that need support. And so constantly we're just, we are supporting them, praying for them and mobilizing people to support them. Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing. So each week I, I go up to, to help coordinate. It's just the two of us running this international office, me and Peter, yeah. and that's it. Uh, it's a great, great privilege to be up there. Fantastic. So obviously in the medical field now, we know there's a lot of issues. There must be a lot of challenges with your work. Um, what kind of are the main challenges you're facing during the week? Mm. Well, CMF, the, the UK body, uh, one of their priorities is to speak up for Christian values in society. And like you say, they've been eroded constantly. There are threats to the beginning of life, so around um, birth and contraception and, and abortion, surrogacy. There's a lot of issues around there that are ethically, um, the ethical situations where the medical body wants to challenge those. And there's also at the end of life where 
people are, are pushing for what they call assisted suicide or euthanasia to be made legal. It's not legal in this country at the moment. There are issues around sexuality in the, in the country right now where uh, the transgender movement is taken over institutions and is challenging all sorts of ways we think about gender and sex. And so these issues, CMF are speaking into them. And Peter has been at the forefront of a lot of these battles. There's a huge network of organizations who work together to help speak up for godly values, to challenge in the courts where appropriate if things are being done. Uh, they are at the real forefront of, of standing for, for God's word to be upheld in this country. We're, we're a nation that's been built on yeah. godly values, and we're seeing those being eroded day by day. And so there's huge challenges around there. Yeah. Um, but there's also lots of encouragement. Yeah. Um, so we, we see success in the courts uh, where a, a challenge has gone through, and we've seen that actually um, things like assisted suicide right now is constantly coming through our courts, wanting to be legalized. And Peter has headed up a campaign called the Care Not Killing Alliance, so promoting good palliative care, uh, and that's seen real success there. And so that's really encouraging. And then in, in the international work too, uh, I was over in the Ukraine just about two weeks ago, and there was a group of about 40 people, um, a lot of them, half of them were quite young, students, but they're all really keen, passionate Christians from all over Europe who are wanting to serve God through medicine in their countries. You see, when you have a, a doctor title before your name, it can all get, it gets you into almost every country in the world because everyone needs and wants doctors. And so they are going with the love of Jesus into often closed countries and they're able to, to serve through healthcare and, and bring about good affordable health care, but also they do that because they love Jesus and they're able to share the good news with everyone they meet. So it's really encouraging yeah. to be part of this work. So lots of encouragement, lots of challenges, but how can we, uh, during our week, uh, pray for you and, and the team and Peter mm. and the work that you're doing? Thanks. Uh, we've just brought out a, a prayer diary. If you want to grab one of these, the next slide will show you a bigger copy. Um, let's put them on the, on the welcome desk and there's a little wee stand out there too. Please pick up one of these, and if you're a praying sort of person, put it beside your bed and open it up each night, and there's just a one-liner you can pray for our work. Uh, we, we want to see it grow. You know, We've got about 80 bodies in our movement, and we'd love to see more of them. So you can pray for our work, and that, that'll be a great guide for you. Yeah. So thanks for your support. Fantastic. Brilliant. So pick them up on the welcome desk. Fantastic. Well, um, we're going to read mm-hmm. what we're going to be speaking. It's Romans uh, chapter 4. Um, it's one verse, but we're just going to read a couple of verses around the context so that we get uh, the kind of the theme, uh, that verse. So Romans chapter 4, if you've got a red church Bible, it's on page uh, 1131. And we're going to jump around a bit uh, as we're going through chapter 4. Um, but we're going to start at Romans chapter 4, verse 1. says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. 
David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And we'll read from verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who, call, who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And then from verse 23. The words it was credited to him were, not, were, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to pray before you speak, Josh. Father in heaven, we praise you that you have called us to serve you in many different areas across society. And Father, we thank you for Josh and the way that he's serving you with CMF and the medical mission. We pray that you would strengthen him provide daily godly wisdom to him and to Peter to know how to serve you faithfully and effectively in his position. Father, would you enable Peter and the team to be a logical, clear and compassionate voice in the midst of confusing and fast-moving debates in society. And Father, we pray now for Josh that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit to proclaim your word to us this morning. May we be encouraged, challenged and refreshed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If Jesus didn't die, but if he, when, when Jesus died, if he stayed in the grave, if he didn't come back to life, what would that mean for us? So if right now, if, if there was a grave somewhere with Jesus' body in it, what would that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, it says that if Jesus did not rise, our faith would be futile. But why? Have you ever thought about those questions? About what the resurrection means? We're leading up to Easter thinking about the resurrection. We saw last week the resurrection means the hope of eternal life with resurrected bodies, with new iPhone 10 bodies John Gamble was telling us about. That would be glorious. This morning we're going to be thinking more about the resurrection But in particular, what that means, focusing on just one verse, and even just the second half of this one verse that we just heard read, that says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It's the justification. That's the big theme for this morning. Put simply, 
Justification is a, a legal declaration by someone with authority, so by God himself, where he declares that someone is not guilty. And he also declares that they are righteous. That's what justification means. They are considered to have lived rightly, to have lived a good life and obedience to God. And so there's two parts to what it means to be justified. And they're both really important. See, legally you are declared not guilty and you're righteous. Now they sound quite similar, but they are different. And his resurrection, that's what we're thinking about, his resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive, it means that we are righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And that's what justifies us. So these two things, they come together, sort of like two sides of one coin. We are not guilty and we are righteous. You can't have one without the other. Like the two Ronnies always come together, don't they? Or Abercrombie and Fitch, they're together. Or Ant and Deck, back on the TV again, always together. Two sides of one coin, you are not guilty and you are righteous. That's what it means to be justified. So I want to unpack that for us this morning. That's the big idea. But you need to go right back to the very beginning of the Bible. When God created the whole world... He created the universe, all that exists. He created people made in his image, Adam and Eve. And they had all they ever needed. The first humans in the Garden of Eden had a perfect world in which to live. They had God's presence with them. They had his provision, his protection, his security, his blessing on one condition, that they would trust and obey God alone. It wasn't an onerous command. In fact, you couldn't think of anything better because God is good. He would provide all you ever needed to delight in him, to worship him alone. You would have all you would ever want. Perfect joy, peace, pleasure, security, a relationship with almighty God. And you would be known by him. You would be loved by him. God made this covenant with Adam, and he tested him for a time, and he could have been declared righteous after that time of testing if he had obeyed God perfectly, but he didn't. Adam, he believed the lies of the serpent rather than the truth of God. And because Adam is the man that God made with, made a covenant with, he was the first man, the one that God says represents all of us. He is our great, 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 great grandfather. We are all his family. Because he broke the covenant, he was declared guilty, not righteous. He was not justified. Instead, he was condemned. And we're told that because of his offense, his whole family now, the human race, will die. That is what the Bible calls the wages of sin, death. What are wages? Well, it's what you earn for your work, isn't it? Some of you may have had a pay rise this month. As a new financial year starts, you get what you deserve for working. We earn them. But what we deserve, what we earn for the way we live our life, not just the nine to five, but the whole of your life, what we earn as children of Adam, the Bible says, is death. Not just physical death too, but eternal separation from God his judgment, his displeasure, hell. 
God's anger at rejecting him and his loving authority, rejecting God himself. You see, we have all offended God. We've sinned against him. And you might ask, well, how have I offended God? How, how have you? How have we offended him? Well, there's two main ways that we do that. You see, we offend God by not worshipping him as we ought to. And we offend him by not living for him absolutely and utterly. To not do that is to offend him. When he is not the most glorious thing that is valuable in your life. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones this week. He was a a preacher. He used to speak at the Westminster Chapel in London. He was one of the 20th century's greatest preachers, they say. You can hear his sermons online, and I suggest you look him up if you you feel like something to listen to, because his preaching was like logic on fire. That's what they said. He had this beautiful, deep Welsh rolling accent, and his truth, the words he spoke, were, were piercing. God used him in mighty ways. And I was listening to one of his sermons, and he was speaking about this book of Romans that we're in today. And he really hits home what it means to offend God with our attitude. And he says this, this. He says, what happens to someone who doesn't obey? He gives this illustration. Imagine, what happens if you don't obey with due deference the commands of the queen, say? as given in the laws of our land. What happens if you don't respect her and the law? To someone who doesn't take an oath of allegiance to the queen, to someone who behaves in an offensive manner in her presence before the crown, before royalty. Imagine if you were to disrespect our sovereign queen. What would happen? We know what would happen. He was speaking after World War II, when perhaps respect for authority was much greater than it was now, but still I think we can imagine if you were to disrespect the sovereign of our land. And he gets us to imagine that. And he says, now multiply the consequences of that by infinity. There we are in God's presence. See, he, God, has given us life and breath. He's given us everything. Nothing we have is apart from God. He sends the sun, he sends rain, he sends fog and the frost every day. All we need, he gives us everything pleasurable and enjoyable. He is the river and the giver of life. He gives us all we need. Every perfect gift is from our God. And there's no greater offense than not recognizing that. You see, we think of offenses as sin as maybe two or three different things. Murder, yeah, we can tick that one. Adultery, being immoral, drunkenness perhaps. But the greatest offense of all, and they are offenses, of course, but the greatest offense of all is not giving glory to God and his holy name. God is so great, so infinite in his majesty. We should be forever bowed before him, praising him, worshiping him, concerned about the manifestation of his glory and majesty. And not to do that, is the most terrible offense imaginable. But to take it all for granted, to not even think of him, or still worse, to criticize him, or to wish that someone else could think of some excuse for not believing in him, to prove that maybe there isn't a God. This is what offenses mean. The essence of sin is to not give glory that is due to God's holy name. In Romans, this book we're in, 
Paul is proving that everyone is a sinner. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Your sins have come between you and your maker. So what can we do about that? What can we do about our sin? I'm afraid there's absolutely nothing you can do. There is a terrible cloud between you and God. And you have no way of seeing through that cloud to him. You can say, sorry, God. You can say, I'm going to try and live a better life. It won't do. The very God, though, that we have offended, though we are so distant, though we are so rebellious, he has taken action. And that is what the book of Romans wants us to see today. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sake for our sins, and he was raised back to life for our justification. You see, we desperately need to be justified. We need to be declared not guilty. We need to be declared righteous. We have offended God. We are rightly condemned. We need someone to justify us. And the great message of the cross is that our guilt, our offenses, were put on Christ. 1 Peter 2, it says up there, he bore our sins on the cross. 1 John 3, it says, Jesus appeared in order to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. That last statement there, that is essential. That is essential for our thinking of of justification today. That is what the resurrection proves. That in Christ, there is no sin. See, Jesus, he's likened to to a second Adam, or maybe the last Adam, they call it. The first Adam in the garden, he failed. And his offense, it stains all of our DNA in every one of his children. But Jesus, he was a man, in every way like us, only in him there was no sin. And therefore, his sacrificial death pays the penalty for our sin. We are justified. And we are declared not guilty. But that's only half the story. His death means we are not guilty, but what about his resurrection? That's our point this morning. See, the resurrection means that we are declared righteous. There's a difference. We are declared good. We are actively good. We are considered to be fully obedient to God because of Jesus, because he is alive. So you see, in the Garden of Eden, the first Adam, he was sinless. He was created before the fall. He had no sin in him. He had done nothing to make him guilty. But neither had he done anything to make him righteous. He was there in some sort of neutral state. He had to earn his righteousness by by keeping the commands that God gave him. And if he had done that, then he would have been declared righteous, justified, obedient to God by proving that he trusted him. But he didn't. And so, therefore, his wages were sin and death. But Jesus. Jesus did trust and obey his father perfectly, that last Adam. And on Easter Sunday, by the power of God, he was raised to life once more. And now he is fully justified. And we, if we are in him, so if we are in Christ, we can share in his justification So what would have happened if Jesus had stayed dead? Have you ever thought about that? 
Well, on paper, we could have perhaps been declared not guilty. The punishment for sin was met in his death. But we would not be justified if he was still dead. Because we also need to be declared righteous. To be declared obedient. To be declared good. To prove that we live for and trust God alone. But because Jesus came back to life, it proves that he is righteous. There was no sin in him. You see, death was the wage for sinners. Only those who have sinned against and offended God stay dead. If Jesus stayed in the grave, well, then that would show us that he was a sinner. But he was not. Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered death. Death has no hold over him. Not because he's all-powerful, which of course he is, but in the justice of God, only sinners must die. And so Jesus did not sin, so death does not hold him. He cannot stay dead. He must not. It is impossible for one who is righteous to have earned the wages of sin, which is death. Death is the curse for sin. And those who are declared righteous cannot die. And that is where Christ is right now. So the covenant that God made with their first Adam, that by trusting God alone, you may eat from the tree of life, you may live forever in eternity with God, that is now what Christ has won for us, for all those who are in him. Life forever in a new creation, justified, living rightly in God's presence because of what Jesus has done. Our verse says that Jesus was raised to life for our justification. This is the beauty of the gospel. How can we be made right with God? Well, we can't. There's nothing we can do. We have no hope whatsoever in pleasing God ourselves. But the good news this morning is that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see the beauty in those words from Romans 10? What can we do to be justified? We can do nothing except believe in your heart. That's an act of faith. And you live it out with your mouth. You profess your faith by simply calling on the Lord. You will be saved. You will be justified, made right. And this is utterly astonishing. The great reformer, Martin Luther... He was God's instrument to reawaken the world to the beauty of this message that we can be saved by grace alone, through faith. See, for centuries, the church had forgot this message. Men like Luther, they were in agony, wrestling with their conscience. Had they done enough good works to be righteous? They saw the the righteousness of God that was explained in Romans, but they never understood it rightly. He wondered, how could this be good news? God's righteousness. He's so holy, it condemns me. I know I'm not righteous. But as he thought about these words in Romans, 
Luther, he saw that the righteousness, righteousness here is not one that condemns, but is offered to you as a free gift. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus, he is truly righteous. And by grace, he offers you his righteousness. And all we do is receive it as an act of faith, like a child receiving a gift from their parent. And as we do that, we are justified. Because of his work on the cross, we are declared not guilty. And that can be true of you this morning. By rising from the dead, Jesus was justified. And that justification is also shared with us as we trust in him. There was a a Nazi soldier who had been captured near the end of the war, World War II. And he was held in a a camp in Scotland. And he was there for for many years. And the war was over. Europe was reduced to, to rubble. The soldier's sleep was filled with nightmares and the horrors of the things he had seen and done during the war. Someone in the camp there where he was kept hung up some pictures of some of the concentration camps, Balsen and Auschwitz. They put them on the wall of of the cells. And he saw them there and it began to dawn on him the horrors of what this soldier, this Nazi soldier had done and had been involved in. And this unshakable shame And this depression came over him. The future he saw was filled with despair. And yet it was in the midst of that shame and that despair that God found him. You see, a visiting chaplain came to that prison and he gave the soldier a Bible. And he had little else to do in his cell, so he began to read it. He read the Psalms and he saw the agony of the people in there crying out to God, He read the the Gospels. He saw the story of Christ crucified. And there he encountered a God who had experienced suffering, abandonment, and shame. And he felt utterly forsaken, and he related to this God who even reached out to him. And he was drawn to the love of God. Some years later, there was a a conference in Europe for young leaders all around, around the world. And some of the Dutch Christians, they invited some of the, the German prisoners of war to come and join them at the conference. And the soldier in front, kept in Scotland was one of them. He was full of fear. He dreaded going to that meeting. He was full of guilt and shame. And they intensified as the Dutch Christians began to share with him the pain that Hitler and his allies had inflicted, the dread of the Gestapo, the family and friends that these Christians had lost. And yet the Christians didn't speak with a sort of spirit of vindictiveness. But they came to offer forgiveness and showed love to these prisoners. It was completely unexpected. See, these Dutch Christians, they embodied the love that this German soldier had read about in the story of Christ. And it turned his life upside down. This Nazi soldier discovered that in spite of all the things he had done in his past he found that God would forgive him. And that these people, these Christians he was talking with, would also show love to him. He could be declared not guilty. He could even be declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That soldier was a guy called Jürgen Moltmann. He would go on to become one of the the greatest theologians that the last century saw. He wrote many books. He's quoted many times. But once he was a Nazi soldier of war, 
And he met Christ and is now justified and made right with him. This is the grace of Christ. You see, without him, all we would receive are the wages of our sin, which is death. To finish with, I want us to help us see what this means for you and I now, going into our new week. What difference must the, the, the idea of justification, this good news, what does that make to you? The book of Romans unpacks more and more about the impact of these verses. If you are in Christ, by faith alone, then you are justified. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, whatever your past is like, you can be declared not guilty. And you can be declared righteous, given the righteousness of Christ, considered good. It's a legal declaration that when God looks on you, he sees the perfect work of Jesus. And he says, that's enough. By your union with Christ, all the blessing of eternity that Jesus has earned by his resurrection is now yours. It's our inheritance as Christians. And Romans shows us a bit of what that might look like in our, in our life day by day. Here are just a few of these things that, that Paul unpacks in Romans. So chapter 5, verse 1, the very next verse, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. The world longs for peace. You remember there was a guy who put together those word one-for-one books that we were reading uh, for sort of evangelism purposes. This guy, Richard Begonin, as he spoke to people all around the world, he discovered there was a common thread that people were looking for. People wanted peace. People wanted to, to have peace in their life. They had stuff, they had experiences, they had friends and money, but none of them had peace. The world longs for it. Because of our justification, we can have peace with God. The one who knows us, the one who made us, the one who knows exactly what makes you tick, will give you peace. He'll give you all you need to live a satisfied, full life. Justification gives us that lasting peace. It also means that we can rejoice in our sufferings. That's chapter 5, verse 3. It says, if we are justified, if we are declared righteous, because Jesus rose from the dead then we will too. And so no matter what sort of pain you're going through in life, what sort of suffering there is, we know for one that we are not suffering because we deserve it, perhaps, or that it's some sort of payback or retribution by God. As Christians, we are justified, we are right. There, are, there is suffering, of course, through consequences from our actions and we may have to go through those at times and God is a good father says will discipline us but he is a loving God he doesn't do that out of retribution but we can rejoice in our sufferings because we have been declared righteous so God sees the perfection of Jesus when he looks on us and we can trust that we have every spiritual blessing therefore in Christ and we can rejoice in whatever I'm going through right now, because it is all in God's good purpose, if we truly know and understand that we are justified by him. Your suffering is not because we need to earn our salvation somehow. We are justified now. Our suffering is not because we still have guilt to atone for. We are declared righteous. 
Our suffering is in the perfect will of God, and so we can rejoice. Because the worst suffering imaginable, death, and the eternal separation from God, is no longer hanging over us. Jesus was raised to life for our justification. There's so much more in this book of Romans that that we could go through. There's a a few more. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Justification brings life for all people. True life. You know, the greatest life imaginable. Chapter 6, verse 18. It says, We're no longer slaves to sin. He's freed us. The power of addiction, the power of shame, it's gone. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt of your past, the remorse and pain of the wicked things you've thought and done, they're gone. The lies of condemnation that the devil tries to throw at us, they're empty, he's got nothing over us. Chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? We are justified. We are declared righteous because Jesus lives today. I'm going to put some words up on the screen, and I want you to say them out loud with me. It says, I am not guilty. So all together, we're going to say these together. One, two, three. I am not guilty. Next one, we're going to say this as well together. I am declared righteous. One, two, three. I am declared righteous. Because of the resurrection by faith, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, this is true of you. He was raised for your justification. And those words you just said are true. You are not guilty. You are declared righteous because of what Christ has done. I long that everyone here would know that peace, that joy, that life, that security of being right with God, of being guiltless, of being declared righteous without shame. And you can know that right now. You can be justified this very moment. You are justified this very moment if you are in Christ. We remember this Easter that he was raised to life for our justification. I'm going to pray. And maybe you want to join me in this prayer in your hearts and make these words your own to thank our God for what he has done for us. Almighty God, we worship you, our holy, true, perfect, glorious God. Lord, when we think of you and all that you deserve, you are truly valuable. There is no one like you. You are majestic in all your ways. And yet we in ourselves are sinful, offensive, guilty people. Lord, have mercy on us. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world. Thank you that he took my sin on himself and he paid the price for my sin, death on a cross. And all because of his sacrifice on that cross, I can be declared not guilty. But Lord, he did not stay in the grave. You brought him back to life He was not sinful. There was no sin in him. He was perfectly righteous. And because he is raised to life, 
we too can be declared righteous, justified in your sight. Oh Lord, please forgive me. Make me right in you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and all he has done. Thank you that I can know peace with you. I can rejoice even in suffering. I can know life. There is no condemnation hanging over me. Lord, you are my God and I worship you. And I long that each person here this morning would know the joy of being justified and made right in your eyes through Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.